the day on the Bourbon Bites podcast. I'm reviewing an 11-year-old single malt from Kentucky. Say what? Talking about a bill introduced in the state of Kentucky to help save single barrel picks. And talking about a massive Japanese whiskey heist that you probably haven't heard of. Hello everyone and welcome to the Bourbon Bites podcast. I'm your host Clifton and today we have so many crazy news stories that I just had to record this podcast as soon as news broke. But before I get heated and talk about single barrel pigs potentially being illegal, uh, I need to get something in my glass. So today I'm going to pour a interesting whiskey that I didn't really know existed. This comes to us from our friend Swan, um, who is formerly of This Is My Bourbon podcast, although he may make appearances every now and then. Uh, he recently moved to a new state, but he sent me the sample before he moved and I'm so excited to finally get into it. This is something that kind of like blew my mind when I read about it. This is an 11 year old single malt whiskey from Kentucky that's 100% X sherry barrel aged. It's, it's just blowing my mind because I'm such a fan of sherry aged uh, scotch and single malts that the fact that one came from Kentucky, I just, I just can't comprehend it, but I'm so excited to get into it. This is Town Branches Single Malt Oloroso Aged Whiskey. This came out very end of 2020. Um, I have not had anything from Town Branch. I know they're very well known for their bourbons. Um, they do a lot of experimental stuff as well. But yeah, I've never tried anything from the distillery. So the fact that the first thing I'm trying is an 11-year-old single malt, that just that just blows my mind. This one also comes in at cast strength. It is 110.2 proof. I don't really know what to expect from this. I know it's made from 100% malted barley. Like I said, it's, it's a single malt um, in the very traditional style. I know there's a lot of American single malts, but I can't really think of any others from Kentucky. You guys may know some more, but this is definitely the first one I've tried from Kentucky. So I'm so excited to get into it. So let's go and get that poured. So while that opens up, I do want to talk about one new TTB label that caught my eye. This one is a new release from Single Cast Nation. It's actually labeled as Single Batch Nation um, because it's not a single barrel. Um, but this is a release of New York Straight Bourbon Whiskey. So this is a five-year-old um, cast strength bourbon whiskey. It's distilled at Black Button Distilling out of Rochester, New York, um, which is a brand that I swear I've heard of recently. I just don't know where. I definitely haven't seen their products locally. Um, but they started in 2012, and they are Rochester's first grain-to-glass distillery since Prohibition. So they are very small. So the fact that Single Cast Nation is working with them to get a special release, I mean, that's, that's that's huge. Single cast nation is some of the best at picking casks, whether it's, um, you know, scotch or even bourbon. They've done some fantastic wild turkey releases. So the fact that they're working with a New York based distillery for a bourbon is super exciting. Um, this one comes in at 58.3%. It is non-chill filtered. It is full cast strength and it's just really exciting. I don't know much about this. They usually are pretty transparent in terms of upcoming releases. So I'm sure we will hear a bit about this soon. It was distilled in July, 2016, bottled in February of this year. Um, there's only 400 bottles of it. So I imagine it's going to be pretty, pretty pricey. I mean, I would think, you know, with it being a small batch of a um, craft distillery, it wouldn't be too extreme. Um, but it's really exciting to see Single Cast Nation um, involved with these smaller distilleries. Um, they do such a great job with the bigger ones. I can't wait to see what they're what they're doing with these. They have to be really excited about these distilleries to feature them um, for an official release. So stay tuned for that. I'm definitely going to try to get my hands on it if I can. But in the meantime, I'm going to enjoy this crazy uh, single malt whiskey from Kentucky. Let's go in and give it a nose. 
Oh man, that is so sherry forward and I'm in love. I love a sherry, um, whether it's a sherry finish on a bourbon or a sherry cast maturation of a single malt. No idea what to expect flavor profile wise. It's actually been a minute since I've had an American single malt in general. I've had some from Texas. I've had some from Washington, but I never have I ever had one from Kentucky. So Town Branch, you, you've got my, you got my interest. So let's go ahead and give it a taste. Cheers. Oh man. Wow. That is definitely a sherry bomb. It's leaning towards like the the fruitiness of sherry. Like I'm getting like some dark red fruits, maybe some raspberry there. Very malty, but not in a scotch kind of way. It's almost like a, um, I mean, it's reminding me of like a granola bar. Like there's some dark chocolate in there with the raspberry. That's, that's, that's really, really unique. Oh, something I've never had on a single malt before. I got to go for a second sip. It's surprisingly not very sweet. I mean, it's 11 years old. There is some oak influence. It's, it's very subtle, though. I think the most dominant thing to me is that fruitiness from the sherry cask. I'm getting so much dark red fruits, um, but not in a sweet kind of way. It's almost like the sweetness has been extracted from like a raspberry and you're just left with the actual um, essence of the fruitiness there blended with like some dark chocolate and some really, really oaty. Um, I don't know. I guess it's just the, the way that the malted barley is presenting itself. It's super dark and like oatmeal-y. Like, that's why it's like granola bar. Um, that it, the finish really leaves you with that same kind of feeling too. It's, it's like you just ate a raspberry dark chocolate granola bar. That's the best way to describe it. I, I'm, I'm very intrigued. Now this was released at $75. Um, but when you look at the fact that it's 11 years old, I mean, the, the distillery town branch didn't really start till 2012. So this has either been kind of like in the work since the beginning or potentially they did source it you know you, they don't really say for sure um I'm, i've looked at a couple articles online and they're also kind of unsure about it um but wow it's not exactly the type of sherry bomb i typically enjoy i like sherry bombs that are really sweet as well um some that come to mind are um abalora buna that one to me is a perfect definition of a sherry bomb scotch um, but that one has a lot of sweetness going with it too. So this one, to have the lack of the sweetness, I think if you're someone that doesn't like sweet whiskeys and you like the more malt forward, like whiskeys or scotches, this will be for you. I do think it's good. I just don't think it's, you know, 100% what I'm looking for with a, like a sherry bomb of a, of a whiskey. Needless to say though, to see a distillery out of Kentucky doing something so unique and so non-Kentucky, I'm a big fan of. So keep an eye on Town Branch. I'm very, very curious to see what else comes from them because if they're experimenting like this, this early on, then that gets me really excited for um, what's next. Again, I haven't had their regular bourbon either. So maybe I should try that before trying some of these other crazy things. But I'm very, very intrigued by this. I just think it's not necessarily for me. It's not my favorite kind of sherry. Um, but thank you so much, Swan, for letting me try this. It's it's so unique. And I'm curious to hear if you guys have tried this. Let me know what you think of it. It's 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 so interesting that it's not sweet. I expected it to be sweet. But nonetheless, it's, it's very enjoyable. So I'm going to continue to sip on that while I tell you about a massive uh, news story involving legislation around private barrel picks in Kentucky. So this all was brought to our attention back in December, actually. I was actually part of Fred Minnick's Repeal Day Expo, um, where he interviewed a lot of important figures in the whiskey industry. And one of these was Senator Damon Thayer of Kentucky. And he kind of hinted at the fact that barrel picks may go away if, if rules don't change. And I think that caught everyone's ear. Everyone was like, wait, what? And I feel like all the group chats were like, what's going on? What's going on? It later got some clarity. And it's basically true. I mean, the, the state of Kentucky is at risk of losing the ch opportunity to offer single private barrel picks. And it's because of what's written into the, the ABC laws there. 
So one of the biggest problems is the law that states that a distillery shall not provide more than one and three-fourths ounces of samples per visitor. If you've been to Kentucky, you know distilleries are very, very light with their pours. They definitely don't overpour you um, the whiskeys, especially when you're trying a flight of different whiskeys from the brand. They pour you the smallest amount. Usually it's like a quarter of an ounce, um, which is crazy because I've been to other distilleries in other states that aren't as strict about that. But Kentucky is very, very strict. And it's always kind of been that way, which is kind of understood. Um, it's, it's to basically prevent you from getting drunk at the distillery and not going out and actually buying the whiskey. Um, and also to keep you off the road, so let's be real. Like if they're if they're completely getting wasted at every distillery tour, every bourbon trail trip would just be an absolute mess. So I, I, I kind of get the reasoning behind the law, but when you think about a private barrel pick, I mean they are definitely trying more than just an ounce and three quarters of whiskey. They are often sipping straight out of the barrel. So this kind of opened Kentucky up for a chance to actually be like sued by other states because other states are like, hey, you're doing all these private barrel picks, but you're letting people drink so much whiskey straight from your distillery. What about the distributors? What about the retailers? Hey, they're not getting a cut of that. So that's kind of why this is kind of an emergency situation and lawmakers were really quick to take action. So as of February 10th, there was an initial bill introduced by Kentucky State Senator John Schickel, I think it's pronounced, and that was SB 160, and this was an emergency action, um, and it was allowing distilleries to sample whiskey straight from the barrel without you know, those, those regulations. The biggest thing is they defined the actual private selection event as something that's legally, you know, an actual event. It's not just like they're giving this to consumers because previously, you know, it was limited to the consumers only got this. But if this is actually a private selection package, as they label it, um, the laws can kind of be bent a little bit with those private selects. It also allowed uh, manufacturers to ship samples to people involved in a pick, um, and they actually say that the, the sample size is not just, you know, the the one and three-fourths of an ounces. That's per person. So let's say there's 10 people on a pick. You're getting, you know, 10 I, – I can't do math in my head, but you're getting, you're getting over 10 ounces of whiskey um, for the entire group, which is still, you know, very limited – um, but you know what? It's a step in the right direction, and it's a step to prevent them from being sued. I think that's the biggest thing. They're trying to avoid potential issues in the future. Um, so it's good that this was made aware beforehand. I do feel like this whole like limiting the amount that people can consume directly from a distillery is kind of BS. And again, that's just from my perspective. I'm just a consumer. I'm not a brand. I'm not a you know liquor store or a distributor. So I don't know the ins and outs of that. Um, I just think if you're making a pick, you want to be sure about your selection. I don't want to be told that I only have an ounce and three quarters of an ounce uh, to to do that pick from. And that's total. That's not per barrel. So let's say you get four barrels. You're basically getting a quarter of an ounce per barrel if you follow the legal guidelines. Now, how many people are actually doing that? I don't know for sure. I'm just saying that this is kind of an issue and it's good they address it. Now, do I think that, that it was addressed maybe in the wrong way? I don't know. I, I, I honestly think they should just get rid of that that limit in terms of what, what they can serve you. Um, but I know there's a lot more <laughs> there's a lot more legalities involved with the distributors and things like that. So I, I get that side of things. But man, is it such a overcomplication of something that should have been so simple in terms of removing that limit? But I think there's a lot more going on behind the scenes that we don't actually see. Another interesting thing that was introduced in this bill was to allow the distiller to sell these private selections at retail. So they no longer had to go through the distributor to sell private barrel picks. If they did it on site, you know, they can sell that on the premises, which is really interesting. I know when I went to South Carolina, 
um, there was a distillery that was selling single barrels on site. Now they weren't picks. Um, and you, I think Kentucky Peerless does the same thing. They sell single barrels. They're not picks net per se. Now we don't know for sure. Um, but they're they just single barrels that are selected by the distillery and they sell on site. So I'm curious if this kind of like enhances that maybe like brands like myself, like, you know, bourbon bites, if bourbon bites were to do a pick in Kentucky, maybe I can collaborate with the distillery and sell it on site. I don't know for sure. <laughs> no promises, but this is a really interesting change and I'm excited to see where it goes. But that's not all, because on February 14th, they further expanded this thanks to Representative Chad McCoy in Kentucky. He introduced HB 500, which kind of elaborated on some of these same ideas. Again, they're taking action really, really quickly with this. I mean, this is February 10th, February 14th. They are piggybacking off of each other. So this said a lot of the same things, but it added a few other things that could be really positive for the bourbon tourism industry. So in addition to all the things I mentioned before um, from the previous bill, this one also allows um, the private selection events to sell at fairs, festivals, and as well as farmers markets. So they're really opening up the fact that people can have separate satellite, you know, retail events. The distilleries themselves can actually sell their single barrels at events like fairs and things like that. Um, that now they're only allowed one, apparently only one offsite premise retail site for each, um, distillery. So they aren't letting them, you know, go franchise to go to every state fair everywhere. Um, but it's super interesting that they are allowing at least that, right? So it almost makes you want to go to Kentucky during fair season, right? Like, I, I think that there's a chance to really try and buy a bunch of private selects that you wouldn't have the opportunity to buy otherwise. Now, again, we don't know how this is actually going to, you know, pass in terms of legislature or how other distillers are going to implement it. But it is really interesting that they are already thinking about things like this. They're also allowing distillers to purchase jointly branded souvenir packages from microbreweries, which we hear a lot about distilleries and breweries working together, whether they are offering the beer barrels to finish the whiskey or they are offering the whiskey barrels to, to age the beer. There's a lot of collaboration there. So the fact that they're allowing them to sell like little packages um, of the two brands together is really cool. Another interesting aspect of this HB 500 was defining barrel-aged and batch cocktails. So they really wanted to, to target that specifically, which is kind of interesting. I, I know that that's a thing now. We're seeing a lot of barrel-aged Manhattans or old fashions um, from brands like High West, which of course isn't Kentucky. Um, but there's, I think Buffalo Trace has one as well. I forget the name of it. I've done a, a stream about it on my YouTube channel. Um, so they seem to be really wanting to define that, but not only that, they are allowing a, uh, retailer to keep distilled spirits or wine in a container for preparing their own barrel aged and batch cocktails, um, which is interesting as heck. So that to, to me, I mean, again, I'm just reading this as, as a pleb. I'm, I'm just a consumer. To me, it sounds like, um, retailers like liquor stores will be able to keep distilled spirits like, like bourbon, um, in a container and sell it as barrel aged and batch cocktails. So I, again, this is all like, it's still a bill. It's not passed. You know, remember the whole, like how a bill becomes a law, <laughs> but it sounds like a liquor store can literally take some bourbon and mix it with some bitters and some uh, simple syrup and release a batch cocktail under the name of that store. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. That's just how I'm interpreting this. It's very legally formatted in terms of the way they're describing it. So let me know if you know anything about that. To me, that's crazy interesting. I know a lot of bars will do that. They'll do their like barrel aged cocktails. Um, but the fact that a liquor store could potentially do it too, that's, that's, that's unique on itself. I, I don't even know how they would be able to sell that. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm interpreting that completely wrong. Let me know for sure if I am, but 
Um, that's kind of the summary of those two um, massive uh, legal issues in terms of private barrel selects. One of the biggest issues I saw people bring up on social media was, you know, a lot of people are doing a barrel pick with the distillery in Kentucky. They are then taking that barrel of whiskey that they picked, taking it across state lines. And instead of partnering with a liquor store, you know, the legal distribution process, they are kind of like, you know, taking the whole barrel and, you know, selling it out of the back of their trunks, which, I mean, I'm not going to say I, 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 I'm opposed to that. I'm not going to say I've never done something like that. I'm just saying, I think they're trying to crack down on that a little bit. And hopefully that's not to the detriment of consumers like us. I mean, I, I love trying picks from local groups, whether they're in, you know, you know, Kentucky, New York, Tennessee. I love just the chance to try their picks. Um, but if maybe they're working on a way to legally get those to people outside of those states, I do think that should be maybe a bit more regulated versus, you know, people literally just selling them out the back of their trunks and parking lots. I hope this doesn't hurt the consumer because let, let's be real. When it comes to private selects, it's all about pleasing the consumer. Yes, it is about the group that did the pick or the store that did the pick. But in reality, you want to get that whiskey in the hands of as many people that that you can. I mean, yes, there's a whole secondary market, which we'll save that for a separate conversation. I'm just saying, I think the, these rules are set to help improve things rather than hurt them. And it's basically giving them the backing. If another state were to come in and be like, Hey, Kentucky, you're doing this illegally. They're like, actually we had a, you know, a law passed in 2022 that allowed us to do this. So that's, that's what I, my hopes from this, but I just want to let you guys know what's going on. Cause again, this is all breaking news from the past week or so. So I wanted to share with you guys. And lastly, before we wrap things up, I came across a story on my Apple News. Um, it was like a notification the other day. I was like, wait, what? There was apparently a massive Japanese whiskey theft that happened uh, last year that we're just now learning about. And this is from Vice, where I'm getting the story from. But apparently, a Japanese man was arrested earlier this week for stealing 170 bottles of Japanese whiskey from a former client's home. And this whiskey totaled over $66,000. So apparently what happened was this, this man lived in uh, southern Japan and he left his house to go abroad um, from March 2020 to April 2021. So over a year he was away and he apparently had this massive whiskey collection like i said with over 170 bottles you know worth over 66,000 which by the way is 7.7 .7 million yen which is sounds a lot more extreme but still $66,000 of whiskey like holy crap so apparently the victim returned to his house in Japan and realized that a lot of things were missing from his liquor cabinet. And not only that, but some expensive um, whiskeys were replaced by bottles of carbonated water. Like what? At first I thought this was like they were literally filling the whiskey bottles with like colored water. Um, I don't know for sure if that's the case. Again, it doesn't really go into detail what that means. Um, but some of these whiskeys were worth over $3,000 each. Um, they don't tell you what exactly the bottles were. I kind of, as a whiskey nerd, I really want to know like what was stolen, like what was the most expensive bottle stolen. But still, this is crazy. Over $60,000 of Japanese whiskey. Um, and it actually took them months to find the guy that did it because there were lots of people going in and out of the house. Again, this is over a year's worth of time. But it turns out that the guy that was actually looking after the house of um, this guy disappeared like at the end of like watching the house. So it's kind of suspicious that like he would watch it for over a year and then just like completely disappear. Um, so that ended up helping them find them. They actually investigated like online liquor stores and stores in the area um, to see if they could find these bottles and track them down. And sure enough, they absolutely did. So this guy had actually taken these bottles from this guy's house and sold them to like online liquor stores, to liquor stores in the general area and thought he would get away with it. But no, they kept a record of who sold them the bottles. 
And this is all like able to be tracked down because the guy that owned the whiskey actually kept a log of all of his bottles. I don't know for sure if he kept, you know, the, the date of, you know, filling and all that stuff. Um, but he was able to provide this information to the police and police could actually try it on those bottles. Now, the sad thing is those bottles weren't necessarily returned to him at this point, uh, at least in the investigation. They, I think, are still on the shelves of these liquor stores that bought them from the suspect. Again, I think it's still being investigated, but that's just crazy. And maybe just a warning, like, hey, lock your lock your stuff up, right? Keep a, keep an inventory. And if you are letting other people into your house that, that probably shouldn't be exploring your whiskey collection... Um, just make note of, you know, when they're in and out and have someone double check your whiskey collection from time to time, because that's really scary to think about that this guy like stole over $60,000 worth of whiskey. Like, oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine. Not that I have $60,000 worth of whiskey, but you know, I, if you count up all my bottles, like literally I'm probably at, you know, over a thousand is kind of sad to think about, but <laughs> some of them, I mean, especially on like secondary, now, my bottles are all open. I, I'm really good about opening all my bottles. So um, they wouldn't be able to flip them as new bottles, but you know what? But you never know. People might be just, you know, buying open bottles and especially if they want to refill them or whatever. So keep an eye on your stuff, guys. But I just want to share that story um, and wrap up this podcast. Thank y'all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave me a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Um, whether it's Apple or Spotify. I think those are the only ones that let you do reviews now. But if you leave me a review, I'm happy to read it out on the next episode. Uh, if you want me to, of course. But thank y'all so much for listening. This has been Bourbon Bites. Cheers, and I'll talk to you next episode.